Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Live from Los Angeles, the win without competing show with Dr. Arlene Barrow, host and creator of the Right Fit Method, the key to professional and personal success. Now, let's join Dr. Arlene. Thank you, Virgil. 2012 is just around the corner. Let's jumpstart your job search to succeed right now. I want you to hit the ground running in January. To do that, you must accelerate your search in December. With my guest co-host, Virgil Holder, we will empower you to take action and to take charge. Virgil is an expert in recruitment and Senior Director for Human Capital Management at Piedmont Healthcare in Atlanta. Welcome, Virgil, to Win Without Competing. Thank you, Arlene. It's great to be with you. My pleasure. In this economy, to capture the job that you want is not simple. You need to be the flawless fit. To do that, you must understand the employer perspective. Let's show our listeners how this would work so they can practice understanding the other side. Virgil, did you happen to see the show on Sunday evening on PBS about Lucille Ball? Well, Arlene, actually, I didn't, but a friend of mine told me about it, and it, they were disappointed in it. What, what did you think about it? Well, I was very disappointed, to tell you the truth. I want our listeners to understand we're using this show to basically demonstrate the other side, the employer side, only we're not talking about the employer, we're talking about an everyday situation. If we train ourselves to evaluate everyday situations uh, from our perspective so that we can read between the lines, that will help us when we're doing our job search. So that's why we're talking about the I Love Lucy special. Yes, I was quite disappointed, and I'm going to tell you why. First of all, I felt that the writers were not thinking about the audience. They had as a host uh, Joy Behar, and I couldn't really see the connection between Lucille Ball and Joy Behar, only that they were both comedians. But Lucille Ball is a comedian of a different ilk. She's along the lines of Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore, Carol Burnett, with a lot of physical comedy. What are your thoughts, Virgil? Well, when you mentioned Joy Behar, my first thought was, what connection does she have with Lucille Ball? Because um, I agree with you. Uh, she doesn't. She's not the classic television comedian that Lucille is so, Ball is so famous for. Um, I wondered, who else was on the show? Did they have someone like say, Lucille Ball's daughter and son, Lucy Arnaz or Desi Arnaz Jr.? 
No, they didn't have either, and that was a, a second disappointment. I really had hoped to see them, because obviously they're now people in their 50s or 60s, and I thought it would be very interesting to hear their perspective on their parents. After all, we care about that, correct? If we're Lucille mm-hmm. Ball fans, and I know that you and I are both Lucille Ball fans, but yes. they were only given credits at the end of the show. So again, it didn't match my listener expectations. And then the portrayal of Lucy I also found disappointing. Apparently when she uh, divorced Desi, she subsequently bought out the studio that they had owned together and became the head. And they mentioned that when she was giving interviews, she was uncomfortable about being the first woman studio head and consequently started dusting while she was talking. Well, on one hand, one may think that's humorous. On the other hand, I felt that it was kind of insulting to even bring that up. Clearly, she was a pioneer in terms of what she did. And I think that we don't always have to hear every detail. You know, sometimes people bring up details of a negative nature, and that, frankly, really turned me off. What do you think? Yes, I I think the producers, just like many candidates looking for jobs, those producers didn't think about the viewpoint of the audience, just as candidates don't think about the viewpoint of the employer. The producer should have thought that the most famous TV series was actually called I Love Lucy. Right, right. And That's so correct. That, I think the That's focus right. should have been on how, why do people love Lucy? Because they love Lucy. Right. And I felt that they were looking to find things wrong rather than finding things right. And someone who's a fan like you or I want to hear all the good stuff, right? Mm, Yes, yes. I would have even thought, I have a strange idea that someone like Robert Preston, who starred in Lucy's last picture with her, would have been a great guest. But now that I'm thinking about him, I think he might be dead, though, uh, Arlene, so I guess they couldn't have used him. Well, I guess that wouldn't have been been a good idea, Virgil. I don't think we could have resurrected him for this event. But no, I think I think you'd have to be alive to be on the show. <laughs> absolutely. But I think we certainly should have had somebody of a stature that matched Lucille Ball from all perspectives. After mm-hmm. all, she was a comedian who was an expert in physical comedy, um, not just in terms of moving her whole body in different ways, but um, that facial expression that she, all her different expressions were fantastic. She was a wonderful actress. She could do both serious comedy, you know, serious uh, pictures, and also could do comedy. I mean, she was an amazing person, I think. Mm. It just is another example, isn't it, that so often people, no matter what profession they're in, they don't think about the viewpoint of their audience. 
or for a candidate, the viewpoint of the employer, which is really also their audience if they're trying to get a job. Absolutely. Well, let's proceed forward, Virgil, and let's talk about the employer side and your thoughts about the importance of why it's important for candidates to accelerate their job search in the month of December so they can hit the ground running in 2012. Well, it's interesting that often I hear, and of course employment recruitment is is my life, it's my career, and people will try to advise me on recruitment and tell me that, oh, why should I look for a job in, say, November, December, because no one's going to hire over the holidays. It, It stops over the holidays, so I'm going to wait and start looking in January. Well, that is such a unwise attitude if you really want to get hired for a job. If you don't really care whether you get hired or not, we'll just stop looking anyway. But uh, what I found is that in all the companies I've ever worked for, November, December is a time when certain managers who may have been looking for to fill a job for some months, they feel pressured, they feel motivated to make a hiring decision or at least get an offer out on the table before the year is over. Because psychologically, they feel like they have to close that out before the year is over. And in fact, I also have seen many bosses of these managers saying to them, hey, you know, you've been, you've been playing around with this job for four months. I want to see something happen before the year is over. So candidates are fooling themselves if they think that this is not – a really good time to get out there and hammer the pavement for a job. And I know when we talked prior to the show, uh, you and I both agree there is no such thing as a vacation when you're searching for a job. No, you can't take time off from searching for a job. And I think uh, I have an interesting, had an ex- interesting experience just recently with uh, someone who's really a friend of mine who had been looking for a job for several months, oh, starting back in the summer, I guess. And he was talking to me in October and said, well, and I was asking, how's your job search going? And he said, well, I'm just, I've decided, you know, there's no reason to look right now, so I'm just going to wait and start looking again in January. And it was barely October. <laughs> so I thought, that's ridiculous. Well, it, shows you, it shows you your friend's excitement about the job search realm. We really need to jumpstart our listeners, Virgil. We need to empower them and show them how exciting the job search arena can be. I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people make the erroneous assumption that this is a torture. I don't think you have to make that assumption. I think that if your mindset is that, that this is going to be an unpleasant, nasty experience, that's what you will have. But if your mindset is that I'm going to get the right fit position, I'm going to broadcast my brand in such a way that I'll show the employer how we match, you can almost think of it as an exciting game. It's a challenge. I mean, so that you compete with yourself, raise the bar higher and higher, and then it's fun. If you hate cold calling, and a lot of people do. Of course, I happen to love it. I don't know. How do you feel about cold calling, Virgil? That's how you and I met. 
Yes, and um, I don't know if I've ever admitted this to you, Arlene, but I'm actually an introvert, even though you may think that I'm not an introvert. But I'm well, an I know that you were a scientist before you you became an HR guru, and That's when right. you were head of the you know, when you were head of recruitment at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, I remember calling you and presenting myself in terms of why. I should be, or I should say my firm should be, uh, the search firm of choice in terms of us working together. And did you, do you remember back? I mean, this was a number of years ago, but how did you feel when I called you? I felt here is a persistent, smart, hardworking individual. And I thought if we, if my only really question at the time was not that we're, I felt you were the one flawless fit to help us with that particular search at that time. My only question was, are we going to use an agent or or did the department still want me to focus on it or my own department recruitment, in-house recruitment focus? But then when I called the um, executive that was responsible for that position, he had also spoken to you, and he must have found you to also be persistent, smart, and hardworking. Correct. And he oh said, yes. yes. He was the VP. He was so eager for me to do the search because he had been looking for many, many months and had been unsuccessful. So he really envisioned that I would do the search because he knew that I had understood exactly what he was searching for, and had the capability to present the one flawless fit. So I also think that if when you're making, if when you're making a cold call, you think of it as an opportunity to meet somebody new, to develop a new relationship, and to kind of visualize what they're like as you're talking to them. In other words, I sort of um, visualize the person. And at one point in time, either I meet the person or I see a photo of them, and I kind of think of it as fun whether I was accurate in my uh, vision of them. So I'm always uh, doing things to amuse myself. And I think that we need to think about how to do that to keep ourselves moving along. Well, that's good, Virgil. I'm glad that I did impress you. Um, That's why all of the people that I placed with you were retained 100%, correct? That is correct, yes. Good. So now, let's talk further. I think our audience will love to hear some of the fascinating experiences that you've had about candidates that are wrong fits and why they're wrong fits. Well, let me tell you about one that was probably one of the most unique candidates I ever ran across. She was in many ways the right fit, but was she the flawless fit, the one flawless fit? Well, we decided to bring her in and interview her to try to determine, is she the one flawless fit? Because based on paper and based upon an initial telephone conversation, she looked pretty good. She looked like a pretty good fit. We just needed to confirm that one flawless fit. Well, when she arrived, she interviewed with a recruiter first, and then 
I knew that she was in the office with the recruiter. The recruiter came to my office after about 20 minutes and said, can you help me here? I have a candidate that is is doing something, presenting something to me I've never I've never experienced before. She said, could you just come in the office and meet her? So I came there into the office and met the candidate. This candidate had brought a scrapbook with her. And when I say scrapbook, I mean a scrapbook, handmade with all sorts of felt and pipe cleaners glued to it and whatnot and decorative items attached to it. It was a scrapbook of her life. And for those who, are, who understand HR issues and legal issues with regard to employment and applicants, we don't, you know, we're not supposed to know anything about their health conditions because uh, that's not part of the job. It's not job related. She had all of her health history included in the scrapbook, health history of her family members, all the histories of their surgeries, and all other kinds of weird stuff also in the scrapbook. Scrapbook was about two inches thick. So, and then she had an extra. Co- she had brought copies of it so that with each person she interviewed during the day, she was going to give them their own copy of the scrapbook. So I just very kindly said to her, well, you know, you know, there are a lot of things about you that make you a good candidate, but this scrapbook is not a good thing. This is not a good thing for you to use because it's presenting information that is not appropriate to share with a, with a manager as part of a job application or interview process. So she listened to me, but she wasn't interested in the employer's viewpoint. I heard later that when she went on to her other interviews that she was brought out that scrapbook every time, leaving people a copy of the scrapbook. Well, of course, she didn't get hired and will never get hired, I'm sure, uh, because she doesn't understand the employer that she was interviewing with, us. And if she doesn't understand that employer, how would she understand any employer? So that that probably was the oddest, one of the oddest, the scrapbook lady. The scrapbook lady. Well, I think that if she couldn't follow what you told her to do afterwards, then, I mean, that tells it all. Because how could she then even follow instructions if she uh, was fortunate enough to get an offer? Mm-hmm. So, and I, think, I mean, that's... I think... I think candidates, for they, they miss the point that their behavior during an interview and the attitude they express toward comments from the employer or the person who's interviewing the person, that means a lot. That says a lot to the employer as to whether or not they are the one flawless fit for that job. And would you say, Virgil, that from your perspective, that you're able to tell quickly whether they're going to be the flawless fit. It it often is with most candidates it's quick. There are always that small group who can be kind of tricky and <laughs> that's why I always recommend to the managers that uh that my recruitment office supports that there should be a panel interview so that, say, two managers, two co-managers could interview this candidate together. Because I think it's very valuable for someone to watch how the candidate answers someone else's questions. I think that is Ah, most valuable. 
because basically you're saying it's hard, you mean, to ask the question and to really watch the body language and the facial expressions and all of that, as well as the content, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and know, if you're... If, inter- yes. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, it's quite interesting that uh, the reason why I asked the question is rather simple. Given that my firm, Barrow Global Search, does a variety of, uh, provides a variety of services, including executive search as well as business and career coaching, mm-hmm. I've spoken with a number of candidates who are telling me that they're going out for 10, 15, and 20 interviews to the same employer. And my response is always the same, that if you show yourself initially as the one flawless fit, you do not need to go out 15, 20, 10 times to the same employer. And I think that what you're saying basically supports my viewpoint because you're telling me that you're evaluating and assessing very quickly. Um, you don't need to spend that many, that much time because, after all, it's very costly. You're certainly not going to panel interview somebody 10 or 15 times. Am I correct? No, but I, uh, no, I would say I'm not saying that that doesn't happen sometimes, even at the company where I currently work, but those managers need more training in how to interview and how to ah, determine. Okay. That's the problem. Right. They are not ah. comfortable making a decision, and so they keep bringing the person back, bringing the person back. Oh, okay. All right. So, But that gets back to they don't know what the flawless fit is. So that exactly. goes back to the blueprint. All right, Mm -hmm. but then Mm -hmm. that again goes back to the candidate because it's the candidate's job to flush out the blueprint and to match to it. So, again, you're supporting my right fit method, Virgil. That is the point. Mm -hmm. Right. So, terrific. Well, this has been quite enlightening. Tell us one more story. I think the one about you were trying to hire an HR person. Tell us about that. What happened there? This was an opening for an HR support person. So, and if a person is going to work, going to work in an HR office, one is going to assume that their standard, their their ethics of behavior as an employee, have to be beyond reproach, because they're a human resources representative, regardless of the level of their position in HR, they have to stand out as an example to other employees in the company. Well, this individual had retired from a major airline, and so the individual had some special retirement benefits with regard to discounted tickets and even discounted tickets for family members or even, I guess, for friends. Because as I was about to close the interview, and also, by the way, this person did appear to be an excellent fit. So, ah. and I, the interview was going very well, but then as I was about, How I was long about was to close the interview, the interview when- when he he threw the zinger to you, I think we'd been talking probably about twenty to twenty five minutes. Okay, so and you then, were, you were impressed with him for that period of time. I was, and then, lo and behold, 
clearly the candidate did not understand the perspective of me as the employer, the perspective of HR as an as a as an employer, because in the candidate said to me with a kind of a sly grin that well you know if if I were hired and working here I could see I could I could use my special retirement credits to get discounted tickets for you and you and your wife could take some special trips and I could see that you could get some really cheap tickets because I'll use my retirement benefits to get them for you. Aha. Uh-huh. They didn't understand, I suppose, that that was highly unethical, that if that person was my employee, I couldn't take advantage of them and use something like that that my employee had. Plus, essentially, the person was trying to bribe me to hire them. (laughs) It's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable that that was the case. Well, Virgil, I have to say... It sounds like life is exciting for you. One never knows what the candidate is going to do or what the candidate is going to propose. Am I correct? That is correct. Um, It's an exciting challenge for candidates to go out and look for jobs, but it's also very exciting for employers to try to find the one flawless fit. Well, I really think that it takes a lot of work to train yourself to become the flawless fit. It's a set of skills that you need to learn. And I believe you have to feel passionate about investing in yourself to learn those skills. I do articulate them uh, to an extent in my book, Win Without Competing. But at the same time, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot of subtleties that I believe the candidates do not understand. And one can be trained to do that, but one needs to want to do that. So what I'm suggesting is that our listeners should sign up for our newsletter, which is called Win Without Competing with the Right Fit Method, Focusing on Career Solutions. And to do that, they can go to the winwithoutcompeting.com website, to the newsletter page. They can read prior newsletters, and also they will see in January, I will be doing two seminars called How to Become the Flawless Fit. In other words, it's the same seminar given twice on January 10th and January 11th. It'll be a two-hour live teleseminar, and the goal is basically to teach the person who's participating in the seminar, listening very carefully, of course, how to overcome objections, how to eliminate distractions, how to match to the employer at every single possible level. And so... I would heartily recommend that they read the newsletters. That information is contained within the newsletters. And uh, they will, I believe, have a new view about doing a job search. So not only will I be talking about how to become the flawless fit, I will also be giving the participants an opportunity to ask 
a variety of questions. And I will conclude the seminar with 10 career commandments and my insider secrets. So I do want to thank you very much, Virgil, for joining me today. I hope to have you as my co-host again. And I want to thank my listeners for listening to our show for three years. And I heartily recommend that you also look at our websites, winwithoutcompeting.com, drbarrow.com, that's D-R-B-A-R-R-O.com, barrowglobal.com, and Dr. Arlene, D-O-C-T-O-R-A-R-L-E-N-E, rightfitmethod.com. To contact me, you can reach me at 310-443-4277 or email drbarro at winwithoutcompeting.com. Remember this trigger tip. Creativity is only found if you eliminate rigidity. So rigidity is the enemy of creativity. Remember, rigidity is the enemy of creativity. This is Dr. Arlene. Goodbye for now. Looking forward to talking with you again in January. (laughs) 